My guest today is Bonnie Peace, who you may know from the HBO documentary The Vow, or perhaps from the Star Wars films. She has followed many different paths, including an actress, singer, songwriter, TV and film composer, intuitive tarot reader, and cult whistleblower. As an actress, she's best known for her role as the young Aunt Peru in the Star Wars episodes 2 and 3, and most recently Obi-Wan Kenobi and Disney+. Plus. While expressing in the creative arts has been a long life passion, she's also been on quite a journey as a spiritual seeker and ultimately finder. On this episode, we discussed the divine current that was present throughout Bonnie's escape from the cult Nexium, the spiritual assignment behind being part of the Star Wars films, Bonnie's experience with spiritual awakening and how Kundalini energy showed up in her body and in her life while she was meditating, how Source or the Force guides Bonnie's life, tarot and ceremonial cacao as powerful tools to drop into inner knowing, and at the very end, Bonnie shares an intuitive message for you. If you're moved by this conversation, please share it on social media and tag at Xenia.brief and at Bonnie M P I E S S E. You can find all our handles as well as everything that is mentioned here in the show notes on XeniaBrief.com. And I'm so excited for you to bask in the beautiful energy that is Bonnie. May this conversation bring rememberings and activations to your own voice and to your own inner knowing of your limitless nature within. Bonnie, welcome to my podcast. I am so excited to be reconnecting with you after you. a couple of years. And there's so much that has happened in your world since we first connected. I was reflecting mm -hmm. on when and how that was and my recollection, and I'm curious if you have another side to the story, my recollection was that I believe you won like a, an Instagram giveaway and got <laughs> uh, a social media consult with me. Is that right? Yeah. So I'd been listening to your podcast for a little while. I was going through some crazy, crazy times in my life. And there were like three podcasts that were, I call them my friends. So you're my friend. You know, and now we are <laughs> friends, I guess. But um, yeah, so your podcast really helped me through a rough time. And then, yeah, you posted something about this. I think it was like, explain your self-care ritual or something in emojis. And so I did like a bathtub and I think it was the prayer symbol and some plants and a flower and a cup of coffee or something. And yeah, you picked me. So we had a little consult. Mm. Yeah. And I remember at the time, I didn't really know much about you. And you kept hinting at the fact that there's something big that's about to come out. Your voice is about to be shared in the world in a big way. And you can't speak about it yet. So I could feel the bigness of it. And we couldn't really go there in our conversation. So the topics that we did end up covering was more of your intuitive work and you stepping into offering that to the world. Tarot, mm -hmm. I think you were just starting out your Off Soul and Sky account, which is dedicated to your tarot and intuitive work. How has that changed since? Yeah, um, I think when we talked about it, I was feeling pretty shy, just wanting to put like one little foot of my intuitive work out into the world. And you had some really great suggestions um, of how to do that. And since then, I mean, it's still a side thing. It's still something that I just let flow when it flows. 
and I've never brought too much attention to it, but my practice has really deepened. I'm doing readings a little differently now. Like it's not just tarot, it's a lot of tuning in intuitively. And yeah, since everything I went through and then the vow, the documentary that I was in, which we can talk about um, later, that all came out. And a lot of people have actually reached out for readings that connected to that show and, you know, people who went through similar things to me. So the people that have come have been amazing. Um, yeah, and then I closed my books for a little while this year because I, I had Obi-Wan Kenobi coming out and I just wasn't sure what that was going to mean because it was such a huge amount of exposure. So I just kind of um, closed them for a little while and I've just reopened them and getting back into it. Mm-hmm. So many tracks that we can follow here, but for those who don't know anything about the documentary or that part of your life, will you just say in however many words, whatever you feel called to say about that experience, and then we'll sure. dive into what that has to do with your intuition and all the other things that have shown up in your life? Absolutely. So the first time we spoke about this, I was I had a lot of shame around it and I was still really traumatized when I was telling you about it. So it was a very kind of fearful situation. Now, thankfully, I feel um, I still have PTSD. So there's a bunch of things that come up, but the emotional baggage dropped off. There was a kind of a, a shift that I had earlier this year where I was like, oh, it's gone. Like there's no past baggage. Mm, wow. Um, yeah. So there's that. So anyway, I joined what I thought was a personal growth company. I guess it's a while ago now. I joined in 2010. And there were some very real shifts that I had with that spiritually, emotionally. So I felt something profound in the courses that they were offering. That was why I went deeply into it. And I was kind of jaded about Hollywood. I was like needing something um, deeper. And so years went by, I was doing this work with them. There were a lot of red flags that I can see now, but I didn't know how to recognize then. And yeah, seven years later, I had a big spiritual awakening um, separate than any of that. And it opened my eyes to the fact that it wasn't a fit that I needed to move on. And so I still didn't understand what was going on. I didn't have all the information of any of the crimes or anything that they were doing, but I just felt, oh, something's wrong. Um, so I've kind of planned my exit, which turned into an escape because I realized that you couldn't really exit. You weren't really allowed. Uh, so, so yeah, January, uh, 2017, I did escape. And after I left, I kind of sent my exit letters. I reached out to someone who had actually left, um, maybe it was like six months earlier. And she'd hinted at the fact that something was off. And I just asked her to tell me what she, what she saw. And uh, she basically, you know, led me to understand that it was a cult, which I had no idea what that was. And there wasn't that much information at that time. There is now. Like it, there's so many people talking about cults, but back then it was, you know, Scientology and mm -hmm. just a few things. So I started reading and researching and that was a whole period of uh, <laughs> crying on, rolling on the floor, throwing up, trying to get my husband to understand what I was seeing because he was still in, um, thinking that I was going to have a heart attack every single day because of the symptoms in my body. It was just, I couldn't actually, well, I couldn't breathe for three years really, but for those three months, I really couldn't breathe. 
And um, finally, I got him to understand what was happening. And the short of it is that there was like an underground master slave sex cult that the leader was doing um, and a whole bunch of financial crimes, uh, trafficking crimes. I came to realize that I was actually trafficked technically. Um, And then my husband woke up and we landed on the couch of my friend or our friend Jahan Ujaim who ended up directing The Vow, our documentary, and I'd actually just done a voiceover project with her at Sundance that year, and so we were kind of really connected and, yeah, we landed on her couch and just started crying and telling her everything, and she pulled out her camera and started recording, and she said, like, this this is your footage. You don't, I, I don't own it. It's yours. You can do whatever you want, but I think we need to capture it, and that's that's how The Vow started. And then it turned into pretty much two years full-time being followed by a camera in like the worst time of our lives, just such a mess. And so totally surrendering to that, allowing it to happen. And there was, there was a divine current to it as well, the way it unfolded. Everything was unfolding to get this story out there and it was time for this guy to stop what he was doing. Um, all kinds of amazing, um, what do I call them? Like spiritual signs, things like that. So we Can filmed and more to that, the divine current. Oh yeah. The signs that came through. Sure. Okay. Let me think. Well, both my husband and I feel in our bodies when something happens with the case. So like it was such a build up to get this guy arrested and we knew the FBI was investigating, but it kind of it's a long process and you never know if they're going to move or do anything. And one day we woke up and both just felt something in our stomach. It was like, oh, they got him. Um, we just, we knew it. And then we found out the next day that they had arrested him. But um, to back up, the day that the second in command, Nancy Solzman, I think she pled guilty uh, before we knew that she pled guilty, the sky in LA was filled with butterflies. It was like a butter- butterfly storm that people might remember from, I guess it was 2018. So just butterflies everywhere. We looked out the window and we were like, oh, okay, something's happened. When they arrested him, oh, sorry, right before we got the phone call that he'd been arrested, Mark and I were standing, Mark's my husband, we were standing in... Um, the gym where we'd done this summer camp in the cult all these years and we'd kind of went back to revisit it and we walked into the gym and the floor was covered in dead flies and I I just said oh they're dropping like flies and then the phone rang and we got the news um have you looked up the spiritual meaning of these two creatures a little bit and I can't quite remember them um flies so I actually I went on Natalie Miles podcast kind of in the thick of things and we were talking about the fly thing and she had a lot of things to say about the flies but yeah the my memory is just kind of dark forces being unleashed something like that do you mind I feel really called my friend Allison wrote a book animal power oh yeah where she offers an insight into animal totems that has really been guiding me in my life and I feel called to share what those Please. So let me just I'd grab love to know. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I just want to say with... before you do that the butterfly thing, it just feels to me like um, beauty, freedom, life force, 
goodness. Yeah. I love that. All right. So fly. It says in the animal power book by Alison Charles, determination, persistence, flexibility, self-centering, survival, alchemy. (laughs) Work with me when you need to complete a project or goal, when you need to release victim mentality, when you need to turn hardship into gold, when you need to find the path of least resistance, when you need to clear your life of negativity. I have goosebumps as I'm reading this. Wow. Okay. So- I will say then, I know you, d- you didn't um, watch the entire series of The Vow, but you can see in episode nine, or whoever can, um, they didn't actually show the whole thing with the flies. I wish they did. I really was asking them to. But they, there's like one shot of the flies, and then you'll see we get the phone call. And, yeah, it's, it was like justice, all of our hard work had paid, o- paid off, and, yeah, determination. Um, turn- what was it? Turning something into gold? Turning hardship into gold. Huh. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Should I pull up butterflies? Yeah. Let's see. There we go. Metamorphosis, joyous flight, lightheartedness, shape-shifting, synchronicity, beauty. Mm-hmm. Work with me when you're ready to evolve with joy, when you want to be filled with lightheartedness, when you're ready to get in sync with the energy of the universe, when you're ready to accept that the magic of life is right here, right now. Mm. Beautiful. And it also says, if the energies around or within you have felt harsh, heavy, or dense, give yourself permission to lighten your vibe and be free. Easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you're escaping your cult. <laughs> so much easier said than done. Although we, we did have, there were a lot of light things in the process for sure. And you have to laugh about things and... It, yeah, it wasn't all dark, but that day when the butterflies were everywhere, it just, it was so obvious <laughs> that something amazing had happened. Also, the day that we testified um, with the FBI for the first time, there was like wildfires in LA, which does happen often, but this specific day was especially po- apocalyptic. It was, the sky was red. It's just like nature was matching what we were going through. Do moments like this make you feel like you're the only human in the world and everything else is a stage? <laughs> yeah, because it can sound a little narcissistic to be like, oh, the whole world's reflecting me or matching my mood, you know. But in a way, there is truth to that in our experience for each one of us. And yeah, I don't know the truth of the universe, but it certainly does seem like Reality is not quite what we've been told it is. Hmm. So spoiler alert, I haven't finished watching yet, but I know that people did get convicted and the whole cult got dismantled thanks to you holding the truth. And something that I'm very present to is your truth teller power. It just is absolutely mind-blowing, even in situations where nobody around you could fathom the things you were feeling in situations where you didn't have any data. Your husband was saying, you know, what would change my mind is data. Mm-hmm. And you didn't yet have it, but yet still you were trusting your intuitive truth. Mm-hmm. When did that energy first come into your life? Do you remember, have you always been an outspoken person? Mm-hmm. Uh, to some extent, there were times in my childhood where I had a sense of justice or I felt like something was wrong and I actually would take a stand or like 
boycott something or say like, no, I'm not supporting this. So I was outspoken in some ways, but I've also been a people pleaser and I feel that I kind of got lost in Hollywood trying to fit a certain mold. And definitely when I was in the cult, I I was pointing things out, like even leading up to probably like a couple of years before I left, I was seeing things and I was trying to point them out, but I was really scared and I wasn't very bold in doing that. It was kind of like doubting myself, gaslighting myself as I was being gaslit. But something, well, there was an intuitive voice that came in 2016. Uh, actually, how do I break this apart? It's kind of a <laughs> big thing to explain. Mm. In meditation, I had found an abyss and every time I put my little foot in or started to go in, there was like explosions, which I now, I think that it's like Kundalini. So I, I was staying away from this abyss. And then a friend, basically, I told a friend about this abyss and she said, oh, I've heard about this, this abyss. Eckhart Tolle talks about the void and um, she's French. She's got this amazing French accent and I'll just never forget how she said it. She was like... Bonush, she calls me Bonush. She was like, you must go in. So she encouraged me, and but I, I didn't really think too much about it. I kind of kept going on with life. And then there was an intuitive voice that kicked in that was very loud in late June 2016 that just said, you need to stop everything you're doing and just sit and meditate until you find who you are. And it was kind of pointing me into that abyss. And so I, I just, I took it really seriously. And I was staying um, in a friend's apartment right on the ocean in LA in the marina. And I had 10 days on my own, or maybe it was a week before my friends came back. So I just canceled all my plans. And I spent the entire time basically meditating, trying to drop into this abyss, but feeling the fear of doing that listening to to other spiritual things that were kind of breaking me out of the the cult only mindset and buddha at the gas pump was one podcast that was really helpful and so on the 10th day my i guess my friend had come back so she was there by then but on the 10th day it's like i was softening into this space and releasing the different tension and fear that i felt in my body and suddenly i just kind of sunk in actually i was trying to jump in but what actually happened was I softened in. And I then suddenly for the first time in my life, I didn't feel any fear at all. It was like zero tension or fear anywhere in my body, which was curious. I was like, ah, okay. And I went to sleep and then I woke up at like 2 or 3 a.m. Um, in <laughs> like a sci-fi experience of my entire body was just light and I could see my DNA rewiring, like equations all over my body, <laughs> crazy mathematical stuff. Um, and just the, the energy was so intense uh, and beautiful. I just was crying with joy. And it was two months where I was in this state of complete, it's not just like a state of joy, I was soaked in joy. And my intuition really changed then. I noticed after that shift I could, um, you know, obviously with boundaries, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in intruding into other people's psychic space, but I could think about someone and kind of feel exactly what was going on. And 
it was proving to be accurate. So these intuitive hits that I was getting. Yeah, so that's what started that. And there was this, mm-hmm. yeah, two, two months of um, grace. I just, it was like total grace. And then I started to try to plan my exit and the the trauma and things that came up crept back into my body. And, oh, there was another thing. With this <laughs> two months of, of joy, uh, there were explosions in my all through my body. It felt like um, expansions and contractions. It's like I kept saying to people, it's like, you know, if you're pregnant or you're going into labor, mm-hmm. there's contractions, but this is expansions. And it was like, like these just hefty explosions that were really painful, actually. And then once the trauma started to kick in, I feel like those explosions actually continued, but um, I went back into a fear space. And so I called it anxiety for years, uh, anxiety and PTSD, and I couldn't tell what was what, but I feel like it's all wrapped up with Kundalini too. And just the trauma was creating all these blockages, I think. So it's interesting how what you're describing some might call a kundalini awakening, a spiritual awakening. And I find labels around all of those things to be so interesting and limiting. And mm-hmm. I'm curious from your experience, was it like life before and after this? And also, how are you integrating that experience? And what meaning are you giving it in your own life so that it can be part of your daily life Mm -hmm. yes it was definitely before and after like so so clearly so I did come to understand pretty quickly that it was kundalini energy which made sense to me definitely labels can be limiting but it actually helped me to see that but then it's kind of like I I went back into this fearful space Um, And then I labeled it differently as anxiety. And I started to think of it as a bad thing. And I feel like there were certain times during that like two years that we were filming where I remembered, I was like, oh, maybe it's just Kundalini. And as soon as I did, everything felt graceful again. Mm -hmm. But then I'd forget again. And I really didn't feel like meditating for that time. I would try and I just... I just felt so distracted with everything that was going on and it was just all so much that I kept wanting to focus outside. And I just started going back in towards the end of last year and that reframed it for me again of like, right, this thing really did happen in 2016 and it's actually always been there. Like it it didn't go away through all this trauma. I just wasn't focusing on it. And... I started diving back into that and all of it came back. And in terms of integrating it now, I'm. it goes back and forth. Like there'll be a period of a month or a week where I'm actually in that same state of grace. It's so, it's so amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. And then I'll drop out. Like I'll focus on something or I'll just get um, distracted or busy or something. So it's this play of... I realized earlier in this year that it was it was the most important thing. It is that that's all I want. Like when I'm in that state, I don't 
I can feel inspired to do things. Like there, there's a different motivation, but I don't need anything. So I feel the next phase of my journey is to, to just sink deeper into that and allow it to kind of um, infuse my life, like completely. Mm. I was listening to this interview with a Vedic Russian Vedic astrologer the other day, and there's a lot of things that really felt very activating. And one of them was that the purpose of life is to connect to the peace within and carry that with us everywhere we go, essentially. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. And I'm curious, in those states of allowing yourself to be in that grace, what do human interactions and what <laughs> does business and creativity feel like? <laughs> um, everything is a total joy. Like I'll step outside and, you know, there's a puppy and I'll just like squeal with the puppy. I'll say hi to the person. Um, oh, I feel everyone's trauma. That's one thing. Um, not in a bad way when I'm in that state, but yeah. So my empathy changed after that shift too. But when I'm in that grace, it's kind of like, uh, it's like everything's grace and bliss and this powerful fullness that's really vibrant kind of divine energy. And then if I'm interacting with someone, I'll feel if they're, if they're having some kind of contractive experience, like I'll feel it in my body. And when I'm in that grace, it kind of, it's just like the grace holds that. If I'm not in that state, I'll feel everything and I'll feel crippled by it. So my sensitivity just went off the charts. And it's almost like everything's so much more painful now when, I, when I'm not deeply um, saturated in that grace. I feel all the contractions so much. It, it's just so painful. Like there's a truth to the fact that if you have some awakening, you can't go back. Yeah. But yeah, so but beautiful interactions with people still. Lots of laughing and lightheartedness. And, and then career... It's interesting. I can manifest or manifesting seems to happen from that space very quickly. Uh, it's like I can drop into, um, how do I describe it? It's like I can bring the future forward and experience it uh, now. And there's, there's an energy to that that seems to pull things in, like actually in the world. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, so I can dream of things. Yeah, creativity. What are you currently manifesting? Um, there's a lot of career things that are exciting to me. So I am manifesting, you know, more music acting opportunities, but things that are really aligned. And then just manifesting more and more beauty in our everyday life. And we're pretty 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 happy here in Portugal I couldn't I couldn't ask for that much more like it's it's amazing but you know um dreaming of having a home that's ours like owning a house uh yeah more and more music oh books I've got books to write there's so many different things that are calling me it feels a bit scattered right now I don't really know where to go specifically but there's all these things I was listening to Abraham Hicks 
uh, on my morning coffee drive. And they shared this interesting exercise that Esther shared that she does guided by Abraham. And every morning she sits down and she writes things that need to be taken care of that day. Mm. And then she separates it into two columns. One is, this is what I absolutely have to get done today. And this is what I give to universe to take care of. I feel like you might've said that on some episode that I listened to. It's great. It's like you hand it over to the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't thought about it that way, but yes, I do have a surrender to God board on my Trello list of things. Maybe uh, that's it. Yeah. I think it's a sign to revisit that. Beautiful. So there's a few other directions that I would love to go in. The first one is tarot. You mentioned in your podcast with Natalie, who was actually the guest in the previous episode on my podcast. Yes, I listened. I loved it. Love it. So you mentioned that your mom gave you a deck of tarot and it was in your closet for a decade and then you Mm -hmm. got into it. So first of all, tell us about your mom. How does she get into tarot before it was mainstream? And then tell us about the moment where you were called to it and how you've been developing your relationship with tarot since. Yeah, my mom and my dad were hippies, I guess, to some extent, very interested in all kinds of things that were not popular at all back then, but now are much more mainstream. So she was doing homeopathy, astrology, tarot, orosoma, which is like the color therapy. I don't think she was actually practicing it, but she was into it. And she had like a healing center in Melbourne when I was a baby. So I grew up around that whole vibe. And I, yeah, I think she picked up the tarot when I was two and she was doing tarot readings. So it was, it was around the house and she'd talk about tarot and stuff. She never pursued it as a, like the main thing. It was kind of a, a side thing that she loved. And she, she taught a tarot workshop when I was like 18 or something like that, that I took just because it was in the house. I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll do it. But I, I didn't really have any interest. So there was that. And then I just, yeah, put it aside for, I guess, a decade. And then there was that day when this whole investigation was going on and we were going through everything that we were. And just suddenly it hit me. I was like, okay, tarot, I must, 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 must do tarot. It was like this obsession, which is actually another thing that happens for me. I get so obsessed and I'll pursue something until it runs its course and then I'll move on. Like in the investigation, I was obsessed. I became like a, have you seen Homeland? Uh, no, I have not. I think it's on Showtime and Claire Danes' character, Carrie Matheson, she's kind of this like obsessed person who seems a bit crazy, but she she just starts investigating all these things and she's really, um, she's on point. But so I, I went through that whole phase. So I went into this tarot phase and I just had so much, it, I didn't want to do anything else. Like I needed to get a job. I, we, we were struggling financially. I was thinking I, maybe I need to go wait tables or just something, but I couldn't focus on anything other than tarot. So that's what I did. And I just obsessively learned. I, I found a great teacher in LA that I, I did a course with her, Mary Greasy. And I just started doing it more and more for me and for Mark and for the people around me. And, it, you know, it, it started proving itself to me and we'd get pieces of information that were not released yet about the case. Like one day we were asking, we were thinking, okay, what's happening with this one person who'd been arrested? You know, they should have pled guilty by now or, you know, when are they going to kind of thing? And I was asking the tarot and 
the the answer came, oh, it's already happened, but like in an in an unseen way. Mm. And then we got the information that it was done under seal on the Monday before. So it was proving itself to me. And also the the energy that I'd experienced in 2016, that grace, that was actually the only point during that time where I could feel the energy. So doing tarot would bring it up. So I'd just, yeah, do these readings and I'd, I'd be able to feel that energy again. And it was really healing. And I was really shy, you know, because I had so much shame about the cult stuff that I, I really didn't feel worthy of offering reading, readings to anyone. It was a really difficult time. I didn't feel worthy of being anyone's friend or like anything like that. So I was very shy about offering readings. And my experience of trying to help people and do any personal growth stuff was really tainted at that point. Mm. I just felt like this, this was such a mess, this situation. But slowly, you know, tentatively, I, I started giving readings and I realized actually that because of what I'd been through, I was able to be really sensitive with people and, yeah, that I didn't have to be afraid of that. Hardship into gold. Yeah, hardship into gold. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, and just over time as I healed, it's been five years now since I left or five and a half, and there's been so much healing that I feel like I'm in a place of light again. And yeah, the tarot is just a beautiful thing to offer. I don't know if I'd ever do it like full, full time, but it's great. I love connecting with people that way. You've got to leave space for other obsessions that might come in unexpectedly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And also um, the acting stuff, I, I was calling that in before all this Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff happened, but I wasn't actively taking steps towards it. There's a lot that I am just really not drawn to about Hollywood. It just doesn't feel right. But once all that started flowing in and I have just been offered more and more roles, you know, of course I'm checking if they feel right, but I'm, I'm just saying yes. I'm just like, okay, we'll go with this thing, see, see what happens. And if I'm shooting something, that's definitely completely taking up all my time. But, yeah, in between I love doing it. So you talk about checking in to see if it feels right. I'd love to know about your process of how do you connect to your intuition? How do you hear that voice? What are some rituals that you do to take care of your body, to tune into the spirit and to hear that guidance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are definitely things that I can do to, to make it like to give it more space. But ever since that 2016 shift, even during everything we went through, it's pretty direct access. Like I just need to stop where I am, get still. Um, when I tune in, how do I tune in? Let's see. Well, I close my eyes. Um, I feel an energy, like a space. And then I'll either get uh, like a sentence, audio, audio, so like clear audience, or there'll be a picture that pops up in front of me, um, some kind of visual or just a knowing and sometimes it just comes in in one second where I just I get the whole picture and I get the whole intuitive hit that way. And there's a feeling to it. I know if I'm not connecting and it's not really resonating, there's a feeling of there's an energy to it when when it feels like it's it's actually real or it's resonating. It sounds like you're receive information in all kinds of ways cuz people have different ways of receiving this information and what came up as you were sharing that is 
this idea of separating the brain static and the shoulds mm. and the societal expectations of self and those around us versus that voice. Like the, mm -hmm. it's such a subtle energetic difference when we're running a busy life. But when we truly sink can and slow down and allow ourselves, because I know that I sometimes get so busy and I can't separate those voices. But mm -hmm. when I allow myself to slow down and tune in with time, not always instantly, it's always very clear which one's which. Right. Yeah, there's a feeling to it. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, if it's not an intuitive thing for me, like if it's just a thought, like a mind thing, there's an emptiness to that. It feels very like there's no substance um, or there's fear, but um, it certainly doesn't have that whole all-encompassing source energy. All right. I want to ask you about Star Wars. <laughs> um, how did it first come into your life? And what do you think the spiritual lesson of being part of such an iconic storyline and the whole world of characters and humans who are drawn to this world. Why do you think that is part of your human curriculum? That's such an inter interesting question. I haven't really thought of it that way. Well, at first it came into my life when I was 16. I was in Australia. I'd been acting already. And I heard that they were shooting episode two, Attack of the Clones in Sydney. And I was already kind of doing this manifestation thing that I was describing earlier back then. And I'd lie in bed at night. I guess I'd get into a meditative state and I'd connect to something that felt like very light and I'd get these these dreams, like um, like I'd have these dreams and I'd imagine, you know, acting or doing something and just get really excited and think about it all night and feel the energy of it. And I joke now that I was using the force And so as, as Star Wars was, was shooting, I, I was doing that and I, I was thinking, wouldn't it be so cool to be in that? And that you can't, I mean, at that point you couldn't really reach out to Lucasfilm and say, cast me. And so I was just kind of, you know, wishing and hoping and they actually called my agent. So it came to me. That's how that happened. And yeah, the spiritual less, the spiritual purpose I mean, the way that they brought back my character, Baru, who's Aunt Baru, Luke Skywalker's foster mom, the way that they brought her back this time was pretty much art imitating life. So what I'd been through in with Nexium, the cult. Well, yeah, so I was able to find a spiritual strength and a, a courage and a bravery that was very much portrayed in um, Obi-Wan Kenobi as well, I feel. It was kind of interesting parallels of like being a warrior fighting for good. That part of the story wasn't really in the character Aunt Beru's story. People didn't know about that. It just came to be um, maybe because of what I went through. Yeah, people really like it. I, I love going to conventions now because it's just it's a whole different thing. <laughs> And I, I mean, I feel the overall story of Star Wars, to me, there's a few things that are important. One is the, the hero's journey, so this thing of feeling a call, being called to go and do something, that even if it's difficult, leaving something that is comfortable, leaving a place where that's familiar to pursue this call. And to me, that's a really important 
thing. Um, the Alchemist is one of my favorite books. And me too. I have a tattoo inspired by it. <gasps> you do? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, following the call. So I feel that it has that aspect to it, Star Wars. And yeah, this whole thing of um, dark and light, the, the play between dark and light and the force, um, which I feel is pretty much source. As Yoda connects to the force, it feels like he's connecting to source. Like he gets, he goes into a meditation and he feels things or, you know, very, it's very intuitive. And I feel like my lesson in this life, which I have now learned to some extent, and the message that I want to share with people is, is really to connect to that, that we all have that. And I think people feel that with Star Wars, that it, it resonates with them because it reminds them of what reality really is. And what is reality really? <laughs> um, yeah, when I say that, I, I mean the reality of our being, who we really are. There are so many misconceptions and conditionings. You know, all these identities that we have. I'm, you know, I'm Bonnie. I'm from Australia. I'm an actor, all, the, all these things. I, I have this body. I am this body. Uh, these feelings are me, all these different identifications. And, yeah, to, to know that that's not who we really are. If, if we drop into who we really are, it's everything. It's, it's this whole space. It's, yeah, all of creation. And there's so much power in that, power and beauty. So I feel like it's coming back to that. So, yeah, coming back to the reality of our, our nature, who we are. Yes, yes, so beautifully put. And, Bonnie, your voice, it's got so much healing in it. And you also have a really beautiful and moving singing voice. I was listening to a few of your songs last night, including More Than I Can Say, and there's so mm. many coded messages in your music and especially those older songs that you put out before any of the mm. other stuff happened with Nexium. And I'm curious, what at this point do you know is true about you being given this voice and how is it meant to be expressed in the world on a, on a big grand source force scale? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess what I was just saying about remembering who we really are, uh, that's, I've always had a sense that I can help people with that through my voice. It's like I can somehow tap, I can express something that helps people connect and remember. So that's always been really important to me. And at the point where I felt kind of lost in Hollywood, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff with the music industry and pop music was not feeling, it wasn't calling me in the same way anymore. And I, I really did want to do something more, like not quite kirtan, some sound healing type stuff. I still haven't actually figured out what that is because I know I want to release more music. I want it to include this healing aspect, um, but that hasn't quite come to me yet. Have you listened to the interview with Reggie Riverbear? No. Oof. Your interview? Yes. Ah. I, it, that just came in very, very strongly. She is a San medicine keeper. And 
I've had her on my podcast where she speaks about your voice being this unique code of spirit. And mm. it's not really about how it sounds, but it's about trusting spirit to move the energy through you, through your voice, through the frequency that is mm -hmm. uniquely you. And I ended up doing some one-on-one -on -one sessions with her and it was one of the most profound, expansive experiences in my life. And I know that it helped me manifest the most perfect sale of our tiny cabin as well. It like really? aligned me to the frequency, aligned the buyer to the frequency. And then when we met in person, it was like, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. <laughs> Here we go. It was like <laughs> the most miraculous moment. And I knew the morning that they were going to come to the property. I just woke up and like spirit was so present. And I know that it's all very related to working with Reggie and like stepping into the truth of my voice, releasing any mm -hmm. cultural um, and childhood limiting beliefs of the fact that I don't have a singing voice, which means I can never impact the world the way that these incredible musicians do, the ones that have held me through different chapters of my life, releasing all of that and just expressing, just press play, mm -hmm. let go, let go of any filtration, any judgment, and just see what happens when you allow it to move through you. Mm, that's amazing. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I've, I've been thinking about that, like just little passing thoughts. When I meditate these days, there's a whole unraveling that happens. Like if I just let the kundalini move, my whole body will move however it does. Like sometimes kind of contorting or doing like these different yoga-like things. And I have been thinking, I bet you there's a voice aspect to that too. Oh, and funnily enough, yeah. Okay. So before I got into the cult, that was actually one of my goals. I was like, I, I want to release the blocks in my voice so that I can heal more with it. And I thought that's what the cult was going to be actually, because there was a psychic that had told me that, <laughs> that it was. Um, yeah. I didn't quite listen mm. to my gut about certain things, but I thought that's what it was. And mm. that's, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. The body is very much connected to it. When I worked with Reggie, there was a lot of standing up and facing different directions and feeling how my own voice feels in my own body and the different parts of it and how it shifts. When I bring my awareness, let's say, from my mind to my throat, to my belly, to my chest. Yeah, I just, I, mm. I feel like, let me know when you think when you listen to the episode, mm -hmm, because I, I feel will. like there will be a lot of activation. That's amazing. There was another chapter before this cult where I was doing I was super super intensely doing kriya yoga so I was it was tons of chanting too and that's I felt I felt that was really powerful like activating or running the sound through different chakras and even like om chanting and stuff there's yes. all these frequencies and tones especially in community I used to do a lot of that kind of work too and definitely called to revisit that yeah okay I'll check so, that out I know we're at time I have two more questions for you the first one is Great. cacao what, yeah. what is your relationship with cacao like? <laughs> um, so I feel like I joined one of your events, a cacao event, uh, at the beginning of 2020. And I, I think one of the questions in your event was, I think you asked people, what's your experience with cacao? And for some reason I said I'd never had ceremonial grade cacao, which was not true at all. I remembered afterwards. I was like, Come on. So anyway, I'll back up. I loved the movie Chocolat growing up. Yes. Just, Johnny Depp, Julia uh, Pinoche, so good. Yes, and I watched it again on the plane recently on the way back from LA and I just, I was crying, it was so beautiful. 
wow, like just the, the connection she has with chocolate, the power of this um, really, really high quality chocolate spiritually. So I think that was inspiring for me. And then I just was always on a hunt for like the best kind of hot chocolates in Melbourne. And I actually, I worked in a, an amazing chocolate place when I was 25. This oh. guy was kind of like a mad chocolate professor. Everything was like super, like really well-sourced cacao and very clean. And that was one chapter. And then I actually, during the whole craziness that we went through, I was having ceremonial grade cacao. <laughs> I don't know why I forgot that, but I was making it and I was doing these little cacao rituals. And, okay, so during that time, the, another activity other than tarot that I kind of did every day that was really helpful was I'd go to um, Intelligentsia in LA where they had this hot chocolate that's not ceremonial grade, but actually it's um, – you talk about this company, Askenazi. Yes. Yeah. Sean they has make been on it the podcast several times and it's a direct trade company that truly changed the chocolate industry around the world and whose founder is spirit source god worker for sure, like a true light being. And also they happen to have the best chocolate. And what you're referencing, I believe, is the chocolate husks that they have left from the production of mm. making their chocolate or is it the actual um, um, hot chocolate? I feel like they said they melt the actual chocolate or something yeah. and they make a ganache. Yeah. Yeah. But so I was obsessed with that for years and that would be my kind of journaling date. I'd get out of the house, get away from the craziness. We were living with my mother-in-law in a studio apartment when we all escaped. It was insane. And so to get space, I'd go and sit and journal and call in the life that I wanted through journaling and sipping this chocolate and... Yeah, I still do little cacao dates as many times a week as I possibly can, and that's kind of how I how I manifest. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you look back at those journals? Um, I actually haven't recently, but I I remembered that during everything we went through, I was journaling about Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> and I was I was writing. They're going to bring my character back in an incredible way that the fans love. It's a, it's a supporting role, but it's not too big, so I don't feel too overwhelmed. But the fans, like, love it. It brings it back in a whole new way. And I even wrote down the amount of money that I would earn for it, but which felt so crazy. When I wrote it, I did not believe that I could earn that much. I was like, yeah, right, you know. But I wrote it down. Wow. And I totally forgot, and that's what the payment was. It was like, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. That's one of the reasons I love journaling so much. I feel like it kind of hacks the thinking brain and just accesses mm -hmm. more of the, the spirit realm. And right. I've been really called to journaling. So thank you for bringing that up again. Yeah, it's really powerful. And sometimes I can't go right into visioning. Like I'll have to sit down and just go blah. <laughs> and just, this is awful that's awful it's it's, it's so yeah. difficult and get it out of my system and then okay yes. now we'll switch to a bit of gratitude okay five things I'm grateful for and now I can yes vision. yeah it's very cathartic yeah Bonnie before we wrap up are there any intuitive messages or anything you want to share with me or our community before we wrap up mm. you mean like tune in and see what comes through yeah, if you're open to that. Absolutely. Okay, let's see. 
Okay, so before I ask for messages, I always say asking for messages for the highest good of anyone listening and therefore everyone. Interesting. Okay, so there's, I see like a space of light with um, what looks like trees that like, you know, in old like swamps, there's these old tree stumps that are, they kind of look a bit ghost-like, like skeletons of trees. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. And the message that's coming through there is it's a time clearing. We need to clear up the old. Any of these, like skeletons isn't quite the right word, but any of these old energy things that are like, I don't even like the phrase lower vibration very much, but that it's kind of like that. Um, we need to clear these things so that we can have more of a space of light. Yeah, it's like an energetic clearing. I'm just going to see if there's anything else. Yeah, and what's coming through is that the the main way to do that is to bring awareness to these things. So just to see them and acknowledge them and sit with them, um, whether it's a, a feeling or a trauma or, um, yeah, just anything difficult that's coming up, to just be with it and shine our light of awareness on it. That's and fascinating. That, yeah, go ahead. Did something come up? Yeah, yesterday I went on a hike for the first time since we moved here two and a half months ago. And there was this river. And what really caught my attention is one of the trees that had fully fallen down in water and was on the bottom of the river. And I just kind of noticed it. I was this is this a reflection of a living tree or is this actually underwater? Wow. And what comes in is that metaphor you brought in in the beginning of we don't have to even push down those trees that are barely standing. We can just allow them to sink, follow mm-hmm. the natural force, mm-hmm. and just they can sink. There's no pushing mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, ex- exactly. That totally matches up. And um, just one other thing I want to say on that that was kind of coming through, it feels like healing can be really simple. There are so many complicated healing techniques and not to downplay the importance or effectiveness of them but yeah things can be very simple Mm. cheers to that bonnie thank you so much for sharing your wisdom sharing your voice sharing your presence a glimpse of the grace that came through to you and that you're so courageously sharing with everybody around you i truly bow down to your courage to speak the truth and to continue being open to different iterations of how it wants to come through you in the world. Um, And I'm really excited to see what's next. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I just, I've said this to you, you know, privately many times, but thank you so much for what you're doing. It's um, the way you share everything you're going through and discovering. It's, I just, I mean, it's making such an impact on me and helping me listen to my inner voice uh, so much more um yeah it's just been so helpful i think you're doing really amazing stuff Mm, i appreciate it cheers thank you if you're called to dive deeper into the beautiful practice of expressing your voice and perhaps even exploring medicine song make sure you check out episode 152 with isla schaffer 
and episode 197 with Reggie Riverbear. I have a feeling that you will really enjoy them. The music that you hear at the beginning and the end of the podcast was actually produced by Reggie Riverbear, and it's part of my upcoming song, and that's coming soon. <laughs>